Solomon's complex system of treaties ultimately would cut at the heart of what God wanted to do with the Israelite people. Uh, God told them, I will defend you. You are to have no treaties with others. You are to be my people. And so Solomon greatly violated this principle. The Lord would place Israel among the Gentile nations, as we had discussed also, uh, to be a witness to them of the true and living God, a light among the Gentiles. But instead, Israel would imitate the Gentiles, and in time, they demanded that they have a king. They wanted someone to rule over them, and God would send them chastening. God wanted Israel to be the head of the nations, but in fact, she would end up being the tail of the nations. Solomon may have thought in his wealth and accumulation of wealth that he was doing a great deed for the Lord. Making great spiritual progress, but in fact, Solomon was making a regression. He was deviating from the very wishes that God had for him. He was also noted here in, in building, had made an end of building his own house. Solomon was a builder. He had spent seven years building the temple and 13 years building his own house. He would even build a house for Pharaoh's daughter, uh, but he would not put her in his own house uh, or because of uh, the, what was there, the law of Moses. And, and other, not the law of Moses, but uh, the fact is that he didn't put her close because he knew that there was a worship there. And Solomon was also given that the responsibility of copying out the law. So in copying out the law, he would have known where he was at. He would have known that he was violating by the marriage to so many wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so as a worshiper, in verses 2 through 15, as we pick up where we left off, that Solomon, as a worshiper, in verses 2 through 15, his first purpose was a consecration. And God would purpose that Israel would have a central place of worship in their locale there. And when Israel entered the land, they had the tabernacle where they would be, but they wanted a per- God wanted a permanent dwelling. And David had it upon his heart to do that. God said no, and so David accumulated many of the materials for it, but he didn't build it. And uh, Israel was commanded by the Lord to destroy the high places. Until the temple was built and centralized worship was established in the land, the people of Israel would worship the Lord in these high places. And the high places means the place of worship. One such place was Gibeon. It was a sacred place. Look with me here. Verses 2 through 15, we'll read this, uh, of 1 Kings. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built into the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David, his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. 
Thy servant is in the midst of thy, thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be among thy kings like unto thee all thy days. If thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem. And stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all his servants. So as a first step towards the construction of a temple, David had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but the rest of the tabernacle resided here in Gibeon, the altar of sacrifice, located five miles north of Jerusalem. And so Solomon assembles the leaders of Israel in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and arranges them for, to move, uh, you know, to go to Gibeon and to worship. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 1. 2 Chronicles 1, 1, we'll read the first six verses. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened uh, in his kingdom, uh, and the Lord his God was with him, and magnified him exceedingly. Then Solomon spake unto all Israel, to the captains of thousands, of hundreds, and to the judges, and to every governor, in all Israel, the chief of the fathers. And so Solomon, and all the congregation with him, went to the high place that was at Gibeah. For there was a tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, a servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought up from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Moreover, the brazen altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle, of the congregation and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. So again, we see uh, of Solomon's actions here with the men. Uh, this would not only be an act of consecration, but it would manifest to the people the unity of the nation's leaders. Solomon had gotten all the men together. Remember, he's new to the scene, new and leadership. He said, let's bring all the people together that we would have unity. He offers a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord with his officers, and they praise and they sought God's face. And as we see here in Gibeon, but while he's here, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. And this assembly would last all day. David would have counselors to help him. He had Nathan and he had Gad as his counselors. But to Solomon, there seems to be no counselor. And so God comes to him and asks him, what would you like? We would see that twice the Lord would speak to the king through dreams. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, uh, we see this. If you want to look with me here, 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, uh, another instance of the Lord speaking in a dream. And it came to pass, chapter 9, verse 1 of 1 Kings, it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord in the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do. 
Then that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appointed appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments. And I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye are your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for thy, my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land, into this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. So again, God is reiterating the, the promise that of the, of the Davidic covenant, that there will be not a man. There will be a man to stand on the throne forever. Now we know the Lord Jesus Christ stands on there, and he sits on the throne. But the Lord would communicate his message to Solomon here. You know, in verse 5, God is asking Solomon, ask what I shall give thee. The Lord's command and question were a revelation of God's grace as well as an indication of Solomon's heart. Solomon realized, I've got a large nation here, and I don't know what I'm doing. And God gives him the opportunity for great wealth. He gives him the opportunity for a mighty army or whatever he may have asked. But Solomon realizes, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Had Solomon maybe been a warrior, he would have asked for victory. But he sees himself as a youthful leader, and he says, you know what, Lord, I need your wisdom. Solomon wasn't necessarily very old. A young man leading a large nation. He had succeeded Israel's greatest king. Obviously, David was much greater than Saul was, and so here's the third king of Israel. Solomon would understand that it would be hard to rival the prominence of his father. So how does he move forward? And he had been called by the Lord, he knew, to build the temple, but he's inexperienced. And so his petition in verses 6 through 9 is, God, I need wisdom. And so he comes in true humility saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what, that's the place many times we get to in our lives. Uh, God may give us a new responsibility. And uh, we say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. And so Solomon reviews the past. He thanks God for the faithfulness and the steadfastness of love shown to his father. You know, verse 6, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. So he understands here. He says, listen, God, you've been so kind, and you've been with my dad, and I understand that your hand was upon my dad, David. He refers here to the covenant that God had made with David, the, the Davidic covenant, to build the temple. And God promised David a son who would build the temple, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Solomon also realizes in this passage of Scripture, 
In verse 7, he says, And I am but a little, the latter portion, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. David, here is Solomon saying, God, I am young. And yet God has the providence and the sovereignty to put Solomon in place as a young man over an entire nation. It's a tremendous, tremendous responsibility. And he feels the weight, and Solomon moved in the present, and he acknowledged God's grace in making him king. He says, God, I, I know I don't deserve it. There's not an ability in me that is inherent wherein I deserve this position. In fact, Adonijah was his older brother. Adonijah, if you want to go into monarchy, Adonijah was the rightful heir to the throne in a lineal-type fashion, but not according to godly's, God's leading. So he acknowledges his youthfulness. Youthfulness is not necessarily something to disqualify an individual, uh, but we understand that Solomon here is, you know, and Solomon made many mistakes. He was probably 20 years of age, leading a nation, in an incre- and given the responsibility to cement a permanent place of worship to the Lord. At 20 years of age. You know, if you think back to when we were 20 years of age, you'd think, wow, I still had a lot to learn. He calls himself a little child. He's understanding, listen, I'm, I'm young, and I don't know what I'm doing. He says, I, I don't know how to go out or come in. He says, God, I, uh, you know, in, in regards to giving leadership, I don't know what I'm doing. So he confesses his smallness, but he also confesses here in verse 8, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people. He says, listen, I'm a small man. I'm a young man in the midst of a great nation, and I don't know what I'm to do. He understands that God has a great purpose for the Israelites to fulfill. They have a great responsibility. He understands that their special relationship with God. God had multiplied the nation. God had fulfilled His promise to bring them into the promised land, which He had given hundreds of years prior to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And Solomon wanted the blessings to continue. And so in verse 9, he wants the blessings of God to continue. Give me, please, an understanding heart to judge your people. He says to judge thy people. Solomon says it's not my people, it's your people, God. Wisdom is needed and important, and here in the Near Eastern life, every king has his circle of wise men who would advise him, but Solomon does not have that in this case. He didn't ask for a committee of wise counselors. He asks for wisdom for himself. The wise person in that day and age was skillful in the management of life. It it meant much more than to make a living. It meant the ability to make a life and to make the most out of life of what to bring, whatever life would give you in trials and tribulations. But if you have wisdom and understanding, you know how to uh, overcome these these adversities. True wisdom is knowing how to deal with human relationships. 
and to understand and cooperate with God's basic laws that he built into creation. Wise people also have a knowledge of the human nature, the created world, but they know how to use their knowledge at the right time. Wisdom isn't theoretical. It's not some abstract commodity. It is, in fact, a very practical and personal thing. He says, I want understanding. Understanding is wisdom put into practice. You know, there are many people who may be smart enough to make a good living, but not smart, not wise enough or have understanding enough to use that knowledge in a right way at the right time. To honor the Lord. And so Solomon asks, Lord, give me an understanding heart. He understands, Lord, no matter how smart I may be, if I don't have your understanding, uh, then <laughs> I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to be going the wrong direction. You know, that's what he would write there in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of, the, for out of it are the issues of life. Solomon understands, listen, if my heart is not right, then I will lead in the wrong direction. And the word understanding here means hearing. Solomon wanted a hearing heart. He wants to know that he's hearing from God, and he wants God's direction. When God speaks to you and the Lord speaks to you, it's not that we might study and pass judgment to, you know, on what he said, but you know what Solomon's saying, listen, God, you speak, I want to obey it. The first time. You know, and it's, there's an ability to distinguish it from that which is not of God's will. In, first, or excuse me, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, look with me here. First Philippians, we'll come back to 1 Kings 3. But Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and the glory and praise of God. So here's a, a, the distinguishment, approve excellent things. So you, you're able to distinguish between what is real and what is artificial, what is temporal and what is eternal. This is kind of understanding that Isaiah would describe of his prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Talking about a rod out of the stem of Jesse would come forth with wisdom and understanding, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, believers today, we can claim the promises of James chapter 1. Turn with me here to James 1, 5. I mean, when you speak about the Isaiah 11 passage, verses 1 through 5, it, it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ of what he would come with and his virtues, but he comes with great wisdom and understanding. In James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of a God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. So he doesn't hold it against us, and it shall be given him. So the father here, he says, listen, you need to ask me wisdom, and Solomon does that. Now, as we look at verses 10 through 13 here, 1 Kings, God was pleased with Solomon's request. 
Because Solomon had not asked wisdom, or had not asked for riches, he had not asked for wealth or political power or even you know, a council of men. He asked directly for the wisdom from God to carry out the task that he was given to do as a young man. And, and it shows, you know, obviously he realizes the, uh, the tremendous responsibility that he's been given. Solomon is also concerned for the people that he would serve them in a way that is appropriate. Now, he had never read Matthew 6.33. Obviously, these truths had not been given yet. The principles here in Wood, but Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And here, <clears throat> as we see with Solomon, in verse 11, And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, behold, I have done according to thy words. God says, listen, I'm going to bless you. If the only thing you want is to know my wisdom, then I'll give it to you. Same thing, James 1.5. When we read the book of Proverbs, you know, we find the love and the wisdom and the, the practical discernment of God in the Proverbs. Obviously, as Solomon had learned some lessons. And when we have the wisdom, it leads to blessings. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Listen, if you have my wisdom and my law, it's going to lead to long life if you obey it. Proverbs 3, 10, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God says, listen, I'll bless you financially. I'll help you. You'll have everything you need. Not necessarily financial. I'm not talking of health, wealth, and prosperity, but God says, listen, I'll give you what you need. In Proverbs 3, 13 through 18, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. God, so again, Solomon here in the Proverbs is saying, listen, the one thing you need to get a hold of in life is God's wisdom. But when you get a hold of it, there's an application of it in understanding and, apply, and carrying out in obedience. In Solomon's, in the subsequent chapters, coming back here to 1 Kings chapter 3, we'd understand that God would give him great riches. God also, verse 13, talks about giving riches and honor. So God gave him much more than what he had asked for. And the obligation is that the Lord was careful to remind Solomon that his obedience to God's covenant and his devotion, in verse 14, and if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. He's saying, Solomon, if you want to have a longer reign as king, then you need to follow my statutes. So the prerequisite or the conditions and boundaries of God's wisdom is saying, listen, continue to listen to my wisdom and obey it. Solomon was required to write out a copy of the law and, you know, he would have to spell out the covenant that was given to his father David. So again, he's going to have to go back over as he's writing this out. He's going to have to look at it again and say, you know, I mean, that's the accountability before him. And God holds us accountable. You know what? That's one of the things of the Word of God is it, 
it holds us accountable in those areas of our life where maybe we're lacking, you know, it, it just shows us. There was some, you know, as I was doing some studies yesterday and some things, and uh, God had showed me something in my life and an accountability. And I said, okay, Lord, I, I need to make this, you know, deal with this. And it was good, and I was thankful. But it holds me accountable that I am too obligated to obey his word. Solomon, in writing out the covenant, obviously he knows the terms of the covenant in obedience. So God promises to lengthen Solomon's life if he obeys. And you know, that's in our life that God promises in our lives in obedience to him. Not necessarily, uh, I, I don't know, you know how long our lives may be. Some person could be really, really godly but, and they could pass away young or they could pass away old. But the thing is, they can be full of days doing all that God wanted them to do. When Solomon returns in verse 15 to Jerusalem, he goes and he offers more burnt offerings to God. But the unfortunate part of Solomon is though God blessed him with the greatest of gifts, and based upon the word of God, presumably the richest man who's ever lived, and the wisest man, and yet even though he copied out the word of God and was held accountable, he deviated from it. He acknowledges the sovereignty of God. The God rules, the Lord reigns. And yet, his heart was taken away. You see, God's chosen leaders can't always remain on the heights of spiritual glory, but must take that glory and bless them into the place of duty and service. And, and we see in verses 16 through 28 a discernment. Look with me here, verse 16. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and that stood before him. And the woman, one woman said, O oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. and We were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. And thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. And spake the woman whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. And the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it, if she is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they heard, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Solomon here in this discernment, did a great uh, judgment. I mean, he understands. 
And God's chosen leaders can't always remain on the heights of spiritual glory, and that would obviously be the case of Solomon. Uh, But they take the glory and the blessings with them into the places of duty and service. Jesus Christ, there was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd go from the Mount of Transfiguration in His glory and His uh, his splendor uh, to the cross. You have the Apostle Paul, who would go from the heights of heaven, as he would talk about it, raised up to the third heaven, and he would, then he would go to the thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Solomon had been worshiping at Gibeon in Jerusalem, and now he's brought back to the duty of, I need to make some judgments here. Solomon would give the people access to himself. It wasn't some exclusive monarchy that no one could access. Solomon made himself available for the people, which shows himself as a good leader. And God had given a special gift. And God wanted Solomon to help his people with the everyday aspects of life. And here are these two prostitutes. Obviously, one lays and kills her child, and she wants the other child. Jesus would welcome the publicans and sinners, the prostitutes, the drunkards, and others. Now, we know from Matthew 12, 42, Jesus is greater than Solomon, but Although prostitution was tolerated in Israel in that day, Moses laid down the law of some severe restrictions and punishments, but here, you know, obviously we see Solomon showing grace. And Solomon would even talk about in the Proverbs about the strange woman, the harlot, right? He talks about her, and he would also talk about the attire of a harlot. Paul instructs the avoidance of harlots in 1 Corinthians 6. So these two harlots lived together and obviously had children, delivered babies. You can't help but feel sorry, uh, you know, for these children. There's no fathers for them. But these women, obviously, whatever father had, you know, brought about, conceived of this child, had been the result, you know, been the, <laughs> I guess, the, the reason for this child uh, would not have been a good father. And now, one woman's word against another, and God gave divine wisdom. You know, that's the thing in our lives, is uh, when wisdom is needed, I, I go to the Lord and I ask Him for help. Solomon also shows himself, not only as a good judge, but in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, he shows himself as an excellent administrator. These were the princes which he had, Azariah the son of Zadok, the priest Eliareth, and Ahiah the son of Shisha, scribe Jehoshaphat the son of Ahalud, the recorder, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the host, and Zadok and Abiathar were the priests, and Azariah the son of Nathan was over the officers. And Zabud the son of Nathan was principal officer and the king's friend, and Ahishar was over the household, and Adoniram the son of Abda was over the tribute. So he has... You know, he's a gifted administrator. He's got some men uh, to help him out. He's got special officers. You have Azariah, the high priest. Uh, he was the son of Ahimaaz, the grandson of Zadok, the priest who had served David faithfully. Uh, you have, you know, in, in, this, uh, in this passage here, and what's, you can look at 2 Samuel 15, 27, uh, about Zadok. And uh, 2 Samuel 15, 36, 1 Chronicles 6, uh, about Zadok, the word Ben here in Hebrew can mean son or grandson. 
So while David only had one scribe, Solomon had two, and they were the sons of David's scribe, Shisha. Jehoshaphat was their quarter during David's reign, and uh, he was born in a priestly family, but he chose a military life. And, and then you have Benaiah, who had, cho- who had been born in a priestly life, uh, but he had chosen to, you know, into a priestly family, but he had chosen to be in the military. Benaiah was a man of impeccable character. He was a man of great strength, but he was also a great follower. He was a great servant. Uh, Abiathar had been exiled because of his plot uh, involving Adonijah. Zadok had died and been replaced by his grandson. Zadok and Abiathar had served David here, and they are found in the official roster. Azariah was in charge of the 12 officers, just a little bit of review for you, who supervised the 12 districts that Solomon had marked out in Israel, verses 7 through 19 here. Whether his father was Nathan the prophet, Nathan the son of David, or another man named Nathan is not explained, but Nathan was, popular, was a popular name here in Israel. You have also another man, Zabud, who was a priest who had served as a special advisor to the king. Ahishar managed the complex affairs of the king's household, and Adoniram was in charge of the men who were drafted to labor in the public works of the kingdom. So he has a lot of men with a tremendous capability, much more than himself, and God puts him in leadership. What does Solomon do? Verses 7 through 19. And Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, which provided, this is verse 7 of chapter 4, which provided victuals for the king and his household. Each man, his month and year, made provision. These are their names. It goes through all the names through verse 19. And then we find verse 20, Judah and Israel were many as the sand which is by the sea and multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. Verse 27. Those officers provided victual for King Solomon and for all that came into King Solomon's table. Every man in his month they lacked nothing, barley also and straw for the horses and dromedaries. Brought they into the place which, where the officers were, every man according to his charge. So he has 12 districts. He has, uh, you know, in regards to feeding the animals. and he, he administrates all this. New districts crossed over old boundaries. Solomon may have hoped to minimize, maybe minimize any tribal loyalty, eliminate tension. And beyond, beyond you know, this royal tribe, it contained the royal city, Judah was administered separately. You also find, obviously, with 700 wives and 300 concubines, there's a great amount of administration needed. Queen of Sheba comes to him, and she wants to look at everything that's, you know, she looks at all of his servants, and and she is absolutely amazed at uh, everything he has, the organization, the perfection, the the logistics of how it all works. God had given great wisdom, and Uh, Obviously, Solomon was a great example in that regard, so the wisdom of God in orchestrating all of this. Uh, There's a number of names that are here that could be discussed, but some of the special distinctions. The name of Israel became famous for its large population, verses 20 through 28. In verse 22, I read verse 20 and 21, and Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and three score measures of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 oxen out of the pastures, and in 100 sheep every day. (laughs) Besides hearts and roebucks and fallow deer and fatted fowl. I mean, 
What an amazing feast every day. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsa even to Aza, over all the kings on this side of the river. Uh, and he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers provided victual for King Solomon and for all that came into King Solomon's table. Every man in his mouth, they lacked nothing. And barley also and straw for the horses and dromedaries brought they unto the place where the officers were, every man according to his charge. So, I mean, an unbelievable kingdom. And you would also understand verses 29 through 34 about Solomon's scholarliness. Verse 30, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of, east, of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the men of Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Shalchol, and Darda, and the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes, and there came of all people, to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. So we find of his scholarliness. And so God had, King David appreciated and enjoyed God's created world, and God had used him in a magnificent way. Peace and prosperity reigned while Solomon was king, and the wisdom that he had asked for God was tremendous. And so Solomon didn't have, unfortunately, he didn't have the steadfast devotion from the Lord. And uh, he misused that wisdom that God had given to him. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing. We'll conclude the Sunday school hour and we'll come to our morning service. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. And Father, I pray that your name would be lifted up and glorified. Lord Jesus, I love you. And Father, I pray that we would ask for wisdom, but Lord, that we'd live it out for you. I love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.